0: This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini on TSN 1050, the voice
1: of Toronto sports. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, here in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, where George St. Pierre has announced his retirement from the sport of mixed martial arts. At age 37, in his hometown at the Bell Centre, he is calling it a career. And... Definitely in the conversation for the best mixed martial artist of all time. Now, the reason why this is upsetting for a lot of people is because had he gotten his wish to fight Khabib Nurmagomedov, he could have cemented himself as the greatest mixed martial artist of all time, but instead has to settle for being one of the best mixed martial artists of all time. Now, there's no harm in that. There's nothing wrong with being one of the best. But a win over Khabib Nurmagomedov would have solidified him, in my opinion, as the hands-down greatest of all time, if at age 37 or possibly even 38, probably 38 because that's when the suspension for Khabib would have ended, if he would have beaten an undefeated guy like Khabib, a guy who's only dropped one round in his entire UFC career. To me, that would cement his legacy as the greatest of all time, and that's what George St. Pierre was concerned about, his legacy. Legacy is all he cared about. As a result of that, he has to walk away as, again, just one of the best of all time. People are going to talk about John Jones. They're going to talk about Anderson Silva. And of course, John Jones' career still has a lot left. So, you know, even had he beaten Khabib Nurmagomedov, it doesn't necessarily mean he would have been the greatest of all time forever. But for today, he would have been the greatest of all time. But he probably still is to a lot of people. In my eyes, I don't, I don't consider him the greatest of all time. I think John Jones is the greatest of all time, given his dominance in the sport and the level of competition that he faced. But... I mean, the love of competition George faced is no joke either. Going back throughout his career, wins over Nick Diaz. Wins over Michael Bisping when he was the middleweight champion, making him a two-division champion. Coming back after a nearly four-year hiatus to make that happen. Wins over Jake Shields, Carlos Condit, BJ Penn, Matt Hughes, twice. The list goes on and on and on. His only two losses, Matt Hughes and Matt Sarah. nothing to be ashamed of there. The Matt Sarah one kind of got caught in that first round in Houston, Texas, and he admittedly was pretty disappointed with how he had carried himself going into that fight. He said that the kind of the lifestyle had gotten the better of him at that time, and he decided to refocus, and refocus he did, rattling off 13 straight wins after that. Lost to Matt Serra, including avenging the loss to Matt Serra in his hometown of Montreal, Quebec, where he had fought there, and then three times after that in Montreal, uh, as well as, um, I guess, in the UFC, that's the only; those are the only times he fought in Montreal. But regardless of that, George St. Pierre, to me, definitely one of the all-time greats. His resume speaks for itself. Some people will lean Anderson Silva, some will lean Demetrius Johnson, even, and some will lean John Jones. But George St. Pierre, definitely in the conversation. And it, it does kind of suck that he has to walk away without having that fight with Khabib. However, from a promotional standpoint, I think that this, unfortunately was the terrible timing for him to want that fight with Khabib. Georges St-Pierre, I I have to imagine he understands that he has a shelf life as a pro athlete for where he's going to perform optimally. The sad part about Georges St-Pierre's career is you could argue that for the last five years when he's in Athletic Prime, he only fought once. So to see Georges St-Pierre go out without getting to have that fight with Khabib, it's a little bit bittersweet. And the reason I say it's bittersweet is because had he fought Khabib, we already have a lightweight division that is in a complete disarray in the UFC. As a result of Khabib sitting out for a year with his suspension in solidarity with his training partners, we just saw on Twitter both <laughs> Ally Akinta and, and uh, Dustin Poirier saying, release us. Release us from our deals. Because there's just no clarity right now in that division. Tony Ferguson going on Twitter saying he's been presented with an opportunity that he's not sure is worth the squeeze because of how much hard work he's put in to his profession. But this episode of the mix, the t s n m m a show is not really about the lightweight division. It's more about George St. Pierre and what he's accomplished in this sport. Now, as somebody who got into the sport around the time of George St. Pierre winning the welterweight title the first time, that was back at uh, UFC 65 when that happened, and I got into the sport you know, right around that time, George St. Pierre was a very, very important fixture in this sport, and somebody who I, I loved and greatly admired watching uh, as as an athlete and as a Canadian. You know, as a Canadian, I think that's something that we resonate more with George St. Pierre because of what kind of a representative of the sport he was for Canadians. He was always classy, always being respectful of his opponents, never really talking a lot of trash. You know, we saw him do it a little bit and had some fun with Michael Bisping uh, leading up to UFC 217. But the thing that we loved about Georges St-Pierre was that he carried himself with such grace as a champion, representing the country of Canada. And I was making the case on, on Center and on other outlets that Georges St-Pierre is probably the most recognizable Canadian in the world in terms of athletes. If he got off an airplane in China or Japan... Everybody who's going to know who George St. Pierre is, you know, if he's accompanied with, by Wayne Gretzky, Milos Ronic, you, you name him, any athlete from Canada, he's the guy that's going to stand out in a crowd from a worldwide perspective. Now, I, you know, if he was walking down the street and Wayne Gretzky was walking down the street in Canada, it would be a little bit of a different story. But George St. Pierre, to me, is, might be the most recognizable Canadian athlete in the world today. And that's as a result of the global success of mixed martial arts and what it means to people globally To see George St. Pierre accomplish what he had, a dominant champion in a very, very difficult division, the welterweight division was no joke. He was always facing the best of the best of the best. And when he decided to walk away after a split decision win over Johnny Hendricks, a fight that a lot of people thought he had lost, we weren't sure when we'd see him again. And he emerged four years later to fight Michael Bisping in another division, upper division, 185. Winning the title in the third round and, uh, unfortunately, vacating it soon thereafter. But something that I think we could have foreseen. I don't think that we ever thought George St. Pierre was going to defend that title against Robert Whitaker. It just didn't make a lot of sense from a legacy standpoint. And George St. Pierre was all about legacy. All he had talked about, his obsession, was making sure that he cemented his legacy as the greatest of all time. And he only wanted to take fights that would help enhance that legacy. Do I think he felt Michael Bisping might have been, you know, rife for the picking? I think so. I think that when he saw Michael Bisping was the middleweight champion of the world, he knew that it was going to be a big opportunity for him to get that second title, move up a weight class, and show that he was able to come back and I think I thought he looked better than ever in that fight. I thought, you know, the, the stuff that he was doing on the ground, him scoring a submission over Michael Bisping, something that, I don't know, when was the last time he'd scored a submission before that? It was Matt Hughes when he won the interim title. That was in 2007. That was nearly 10 years prior. Pretty unbelievable. So that was the last time he'd gotten a suspension to that point. So, you know, he was training with the Donner her Death Squad in New York. It would have been great to see what he could do in more fights, and I, I was hoping we'd get to see him again. But it seemed like this crazy moment back at UFC 217 in Madison Square Garden. It was almost like you were seeing a tile, like a white tiger. Something fictional, almost. Arising from the ashes, coming back one night only, winning a championship, and then disappearing into the mist once again. And now George St. Pierre will disappear likely for good from the mixed martial arts landscape in terms of his competitive days. Those are likely over. And I think, again, I think it's a result of George St. Pierre knowing that there's only so much time where he can perform at his peak against the best in the world. And I don't think that he was going to come back and fight welterweight challengers. I don't think he was going to come back and fight a Ben Askren, even though Ben Askren's undefeated. I don't think he had any interest in fighting Tyron Woodley. He wanted that one fight with Khabib. And from a promotional standpoint... It just did not make a whole lot of sense. Now, Khabib came out on social media and said, I'll fight you at 155, I'll fight you at 160, please reconsider retiring. So I don't think there was any hesitation on Khabib's part. I think Khabib would have actually taken a pay cut to fight George St. Pierre because it would have meant so much for him to score that win and get that notch on his belt as a mixed martial artist, an undefeated mixed martial artist going out there and beating George St. Pierre, someone who I think still to this day would be considered one of the best. Even suggesting that they do it at 160 pounds... But uh, I'm not sure a catchweight was what George St. Pierre wanted. I think he wanted that third belt to cement that legacy. And to tie up that division right now, when again, it's there's just a lot of moving parts right now in the lightweight division. Khabib not coming back till November. Tony Ferguson was once the interim champion. That got stripped as a result of him suffering a freak injury during a media appearance. If anybody's deserving of that title shot, it's that man, Tony Ferguson. Now you've got Max Holloway wanting to move up, or at least Dana White wanting him to move up to lightweight. You've got Dustin Poirier after some big wins over Eddie Alvarez, Justin Gaethje. You've got Ali Akinta after his big win over Kevin Lee and a, a solid performance against Khabib on short notice. I mean, he lost every round, but regardless of that, he's in the mix. So there's just a lot of people, a lot of mouths to feed at lightweight for the UFC. And for George St. Pierre to step in, even though that's probably the biggest fight you can make on paper, aside from maybe a Connor rematch, I think it's just not the right time. And unfortunately, time's not on the side of George St-Pierre. He's turning 38 years old in just three months. So for him to want that fight is unrealistic, in my opinion. And I think he knew it was unrealistic, but he also knew that from a promotional standpoint, if you're Endeavor and they do have some debt to pay off, then... You know, maybe they consider it. Maybe they consider making a money fight. But the worst case scenario for them is it's for the lightweight title. George St. Pierre comes, wins, defeats an undefeated champion, and then walks away again. Doesn't defend the title. And then that division gets into even further disarray. So if you're the UFC, what do you do? You're kind of between a rock and a hard place. And Dana White had constantly said, we're not looking to do Khabib versus uh, George St. Pierre. And for George St. Pierre, no other fight will suffice. And I I completely agree with that vantage point. He He could have called out Conor McGregor at this point in time and probably gotten that fight. But even the money fight didn't appeal to him. He could have made a ton of money off that fight. Instead, he decides to call out Khabib Nurmagomedov. That's the fight he wants because he knows that from a legacy standpoint, that makes him the guy. And again, in a lot of people's eyes, he still is the guy. But that would cement him as the guy. And I think that that's what he was looking to do. Now he has to take a step back, walk away from the sport. He's got a lot of different business interests going on that will, you know, money's not an issue for George St. Pierre at this point in his life. He apparently doesn't live a very lavish lifestyle, doesn't really love being in the public eye. I think he hated being in the public eye. I remember he came out and said he despised doing media. Despised is a strong word. He said that after Nick Diaz no-showed their pay press conference. He goes, you think I like doing this? I despise doing media. He never looked totally comfortable. English was a second language. So George St. Pierre, one of the reasons why he walked away in the first place in 2013, after that win over Johnny Hendricks, was because of A, head injuries. He was fear, had a fear of head injuries and, and head trauma. And B, because being a superstar and being a champion was just too much for him. Too much pressure. Too many people knocking on his door. He's the guy everybody's trying to come after. And at a point, you just it's too much. And I think that it was very healthy for him to acknowledge that and to walk away. But for George, that's something he had to do. That's how he was going to be able to maintain his health and his well-being, his mental health. Now, did I expect to see him gone for four years? No, I would have liked to see him come back sooner, and I think everybody would have, but... He was wanting to pick his spot and find a good opportunity for him to enhance his legacy. And Enhance his legacy, he did. Madison Square Garden, main event. Wins the middleweight crown. And of course, he attributed his decision to relinquish the belt to having ulcerative colitis. And whether or not he had ulcerative colitis, I don't know if he ever is going to release that medical information. But I think it was certainly something that gave him an excuse to walk away from the division. But I, I don't think he ever had any intention of defending that title. I don't think he could look you in the eyes with a straight face and say, yeah, I was going to fight Robert Whitaker. It's just I don't think that was ever going to happen. George St. Pierre is one of the very rare athletes, and I think that that's why him and Dana White don't really get along, where he knows his value. He knows his worth. He's going to call the shots. He's not going to let someone else call the shots. And that, that rubs the UFC brass the wrong way because, you know, if they are offering him fights every year and he's turning them down, that's lost revenue for the promotion and also – You know, the allure of having George St. Pierre headline cards and having a superstar that you can play with is important for the UFC because they just don't have that many superstars right now. How many individuals do they have or how many fights can they make that are going to sell 600,000-plus pay-per-views? There just aren't that many. There's Jones-Cormier three, I think, would undoubtedly sell more than that amount. Any Conor McGregor fight will sell more than that amount, but then what? Where do you go from there? Go from top to bottom, and I think you're hard-pressed to find a fight— Sell 600,000 pay per views. I mean, prove me wrong. Come up with a fight that's going to sell that much. I just don't see it. So, having a superstar at your disposal like a George St. Pierre is super important for the UFC, especially with Endeavor at the helm. They're an entertainment company. You know, a lot of people, Ally Akinta went on Twitter recently and said, This isn't a sport anymore. It never was. The UFC is not a sport, it's a, it's a company that promotes a sport. They're a promotional company and they're going to do what's in their best financial interests and what they believe the fans want to see. That's that's their M.O. So don't get it twisted. The UFC is not a sport. It's a promotion. I'll hammer this over the head of everybody who listens to this show as many times as I can because I think that there's a big, big misnomer that the UFC needs to have this meritocracy. It needs to follow the rankings. No, 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 no. They need to follow follow the money. <laughs> that's, that's what this sport's about. At least that's what this promotion's about. The sport's about respect, it's about martial arts, it's about competition, but those who are promoting the sport, I mean, the NBA doesn't promote basketball, they're a basketball league. The NFL is a football league, they're not a promotion company, they can't decide who's going to fight, who's going to face off in the Super Bowl, they can't say, well, you know what, this team's going to draw more or eyeballs on television, that's just not how it works. The UFC can hold those cards. They can say, this is what we're going to put on TV for ratings, this is what we're going to put on pay-per-view for buys. And George St. Pierre was a very, very important chess piece for them in that regard. Now, earlier today, I had an opportunity to speak to the man himself, George St. Pierre, about his decision to retire, hang up the gloves, and walk away from mixed martial arts at the age of 37. Here's what George had to say about his choice. George St-Pierre, Canadian legend and icon in the sport, walks away today from mixed martial arts, professional mixed martial arts. When exactly did you make this decision? Was there a single moment where you were like, now is the time?
0: Um, it, it, it came slowly and slowly, but uh, when, uh, you know, we were waiting for, uh, we tried to make that fight happen uh, with Khabib and UFC were not interesting. They had they uh, a plan with, uh, with Khabib and it's okay and I think that was uh, the perfect time to do it.
1: Who was the first person you told that now, now is going to be the time that I walk
0: away from the sport? Oh, we knew we knew before we said, oh, there's only one one fight that really interests me that could, you know. Because to make an analogy of this is before when I was young, I didn't have nothing. I was on the bottom. I wanted to climb the ladder. Any guy could elevate me. So I wanted to fight everybody. I didn't care when, who, where I, I was going to take the fight. I was very hungry. But now I'm on top of the ladder. The only, the only place you look, you look down, you know? Of course, there's only a few guys that can elevate you. But these guys, it's a question of availability, timing, and everything. And it sometimes it's not the right timing. And uh, it's all good, too. There's always going to be another guy, and another guy, another guy. So every good thing is an, has an end.
1: Legacy has been so important to you. Khabib, undefeated, has only lost one round in the UFC. Was the idea of beating Khabib about being the best versus one of the best? Yeah, Khabib, for me, he's
0: the best guy right now to beat. Uh, legacy, for legacy wise, it was it was it was incredible. It, it's not it's nothing but just for respect. You know, I respect him as a martial artist, but also as a person. Uh, it would have been an incredible fight for me because it, it's the scariest thing to do in the same thing in the same time. The scariest thing to do is the most exciting thing to do.
1: When you looked at Khabib, did the third belt matter, or was it more about no. getting a chance no. to face him? He mentioned the 160 pounds yesterday, catch weight. I wouldn't care about the belt.
0: For sure, it would never have been for the belt. UFC would have never in a hundred years to let that for the belt because it, it, I would not have defended the belt for uh, To lose uh, all that weight for nothing, to, to fight another guy would not interest me. Uh, it was more for a legacy fight, for a fun fight for the fans. uh, But it's okay, they have other plans. It's normal, it's a a business. It's a business that is about what's next, not about what was before and what's happening now. It's always about what's next, what's next, what's next. And uh, it's normal, it's all good.
1: You made a name for yourself in what I think is the old UFC. When people had logos all over their shorts and banners You've only fought once, really, in this Reebok era, this Endeavor era. What's the biggest difference between now and then, in your opinion?
0: I think it's the the, the social media now. Everything is bigger because the, the the you have access to the world now. You can you want to let's say I want to call out someone. I go on my phone, even though I don't know his number, I know his Twitter, and I call him out. I insult him like I, like a lot of the showmanship is made this way. You know? So um, it it's just the technology makes it bigger, you know. It's not that the people are better. I think uh, the performance will get better. It's not athletes are better now, it's that the technology makes performance better and make the show better. Yeah.
1: You're one of very few superstars that have really transcended the sport. A lot of other individuals have made a name for themselves with trash talk and things of that nature. You always took the high road. As a Canadian athlete, was that important to you, to make sure that you were representing this country?
0: No, it's, it's not about Represent country is for me is no politics. Is I represent myself. I, uh, I, it's bad people in Canada too. It's not only good guy. <laughs> there's very bad people everywhere. It's good and bad people everywhere. I wanted to to do it for myself, and uh, I don't care how the people conduct themselves. For me, there's certain thing that I wanted to do. I'm a perfectionist guy, so if I would have been a, an architect, I wanted to become the best architect in the world. If I would be a professor, the best professor in the world, but I'm a fighter, I want to become the best fighter in the world, I became champion. Then I wanted to do something to change the game, I wanted to, I did my best to help to change uh, with the performance enhancing drug problem. I also wanted to be known as a good role model, I try my best to look and show a positive image of, of uh, what I do for a living and who I am. And another thing I wanted to do is I want to retire on top, which is very hard to do. And uh, I'm able to do it, so I'm happy.
1: In the last five years, you were really in your athletic <coughs> prime, and you only fought one time. Do you look back on that and think, ah, maybe I should have fought maybe once, twice more?
0: Yeah, I always say I should, I should have. It's a little bit of regret, but I'm, I'm glad I did it this way. could have been worse. I feel I'm at my best right now, my best shape. Uh, as a fighter, if you, if you know the art of war uh, as a fighter, there is physicality and knowledge. Knowledge is a weapon. As I learn as I ke- keep uh, training in this business, my knowledge grow will grow until I die if I stay in the business. However, my physicality at one point now I feel on top of my of my game, but my physicality would diminish. The fighter when he reaches his bases when his physicality and his knowledge is at the peak and I feel that's where I am right now. But the last person to know when it's time to take the retirement retirement is the fighter himself. So at one point, my, my knowledge will always increase, but my physicality will go down, so it's all good. And fighting for all these years, it's not the damage that it takes on my body in terms of impact that I'm worried about. It's more about the stress, the stress, the stress that it gives me, the anxiety, that's what grind me. That's what gets to me. And stress is cause of many disease. And for me, that's what I'm the most worried about. And now that I think my retirement, I'm, I'm happy to re- to release all the stress. And I'm very happy.
1: You're also very high. Obsessed, pretty much, with your peak performance and knowing you're going to be able to perform at your peak. Knowing Khabib was out till November, and if you maybe got a shot at him in 2020, you might have been close to 39 years of age. Was part 30, of this. 38. Don't make me old. Well, then. you know, if it was middle of next year, 39, maybe. I'm 37 Yes, I know. So am I. You know, I don't want to make you older. I understand oh, where you're coming oh, oh, oh. from. But was part of this just knowing what your shelf life was as an athlete, what your expiration date was on having your peak uh, physical presence? I
0: I think the the expiration date. Of an athlete varies to every individual it's a genetic it it's many more than what I will mention but it's mainly genetic and um it has to do if i never took drug in my life drug shorten your li your your career because it's a shortcut it's gonna help you for a short amount of time but then it gonna it's gonna mess messed up your hormone system never took drug i i uh, genetic I've, i think i have good gene. my parents my family is in good shape. And also, I train smart. You know, a lot of people, they, I know a lot of uh, athletes, they leave their career in the gym, they make wars in the gym, they train. It has to do a lot with how you train. So I have very good trainer, very knowledgeable people around me. And I train very well, and I train smart, and I think that has to do. So I, I, I think uh, for a guy like me, it could be good
1: for uh, until 40, 40 something years old. You know. And finally, the word that we heard most from you when it came to your fighting career, in the last couple of years is legacy. Wanting to grow your legacy. Yeah. Now that you're walking away, what is your legacy in your opinion?
0: I, like I said, I, w- I wanted to be uh, remembered as one of the best guys. Also, a, a guy that tried to change a, the game for performance enhancing drug. I tried to make a difference. I tried my best to help it. I, I, uh, I wanted to be known as a good role model and very important to retire at the right time on top.
1: George, thanks so much for this. Thank you for your contribution to the sport. And more importantly, thank you for being such a great representative of this country.
0: Thank, thanks to you guys uh, and thanks to the fans for the support. Uh, it means a lot to me from the bottom of my heart. I will forever be thankful for the support you give me. Thank you very much.
1: The feeling is mutual. Thank you, George. There is That was George St. Pierre discussing his decision to walk away from the UFC and retire from mixed martial arts. At a press conference earlier today, he announced that fact. And we move forward without Georges St-Pierre in this sport. And I think he'll be sorely missed. 26-2, and his record at the end of the day. And you know what? When it comes to the most memorable moment for me about Georges St-Pierre, I think it's probably the Bisping fight. I mean, the Hendricks fight made him look very human. I remember when he went into that fight against Hendricks, I thought that he was going to be in some trouble. I thought that Hendricks were going to pose a pretty big threat to him because Hendricks would be able to neutralize the wrestling and had a lot of power on the feet, and that proved to be true. Uh, watching that fight back, I, I see how people can make a, a case for George to have won that fight, but I had a score for Hendricks at the time. Even rewatching it, I think I probably would still score for Hendricks today. But uh, that was the first time we really saw George St. Pierre look human for quite some time, since that Matt Sarah knockout in, in 2007... About six years, more than six years prior, that was really the last time we had seen him look human. Now, he did take that kick to the head from Carlos Condit, another fight that he won by unanimous decision that, uh, that knocked, that, you know, kind of rattled him a little bit. That, that made him look a little bit human. That was probably the only round of that fight that you could give to Carlos Condit. But, I mean, Jorge St. Pierre was just so, so dominant for so long. And I think the Bisping fight resonated more with me because I was actually, you know, there covering that fight. Um, I was supposed to go to, uh, UFC, well, I was at UFC 100, I was there covering that fight, so I did get to see him live against Alves. I was also um, at his fight uh, in Minneapolis against John Fitch, back at UFC 87. I was there for a station that I used to work for called Hardcore Sports Radio, which was uh, on Sirius XM Radio back in the day. So I went to that and to UFC 100, so I got to watch uh, those particular events. I was supposed to watch uh, George St. Pierre when he when he was in Montreal... Can not remember if it was the cost check fight or if it was the uh yeah, I think it was the cost check fight back at uh, UFC 124. Um or was it the uh, I, w- I did cover the Jake Shields fight that was a UFC 2 2- uh, 129, the first ever fight in Toronto at the Rogers Centre. So is that that one? Sorry, it was the uh Matt Serra fight, UFC 83. I was supposed to be uh there covering it. And I was actually there for the first days leading up to that one, but it was a Jewish holiday and I had to go home <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, so I didn't get to be in attendance for Ge- uh, George St. Pierre retaining the t- or uh, regaining the title, reclaiming the title for Matt Serra back in uh, 2008. Uh, however, I did get to cover uh, several George St. Pierre fights, so it was always a pleasure getting to watch George St. Pierre do his thing uh, in the octagon. But, uh, you know, when I was actually a forward-facing individual in terms of the coverage of the sport, that was UFC 217 in New York, and uh, it was just so great to watch George uh, be back in his element get to speak with george leading up to that fight and uh help with the uh, the mind of gsp the tsn feature that we uh that we put together uh fronted by robin black if you haven't checked that out it's on our website tsn.ca slash ufc so it has been a great pleasure watching george st-pierre perform in this sport uh, for so so many years and uh he will be missed we will miss uh George St. Pierre in the sport from a Canadian standpoint. He's by far the greatest Canadian to compete in this sport. And right now, we don't really have a ton of guys that you look at and say, this guy could be as good as George St. Pierre. They just just don't have that level of dominance from Canadian athletes right now. But speaking of which, UFC in Ottawa was announced uh, earlier today on TSN 1200. Uh, Sorry, that was on Wednesday. On uh, TSN 1200, uh, Dave Shaw, the senior vice president, was uh, on the air with them and uh, broke down the card. And we've got uh, some really, really uh, solid fights from a Canadian standpoint on that card. Um, most uh, notably, Elias Theodorou against Derek Brunson in a ranked matchup. Uh, that won't be the main event. It was rumored to be the main event. They're still determining the main event, but... Uh, we do have uh, those two guys squaring off. That's going to be a really good one. Um, right now, Brunson's 2-4 and four in his last six. But if you look at those losses, who they're 2, it's like Adesanya, Robert Whitaker. Uh, I think Jacare is one of them. Uh, it's pretty crazy. He's only lost to the best of the best. Uh, meanwhile, Theodoro is 8-2 and two in the UFC. And this is a great position for him to move into the top 10. He hasn't been able to scratch the top 10 just yet. But a win over Brunson would do that. And I think that uh, he matches up very favorably against Brunson. Brunson looks like his best days are behind him, and if that's the case, then Elias, I think, is going to win this fight quite easily. But if Brunson still has something left in the tank, it's not going to be an easy matchup for Elias. So. I'm looking forward to seeing that one because uh, those are two ranked guys and one of the higher-ranked Canadians in the UFC. Uh, another name to look for is Marc-Andre Berrio. Now, if you're not familiar with Marc-Andre Berrio, he's a two-division champion both in middleweight and light heavyweight in uh, TKO, which is a Quebec-based uh, regional promotion uh, out here in Quebec, which is where I'm doing this show from right now. Uh, Robin Black is uh, the uh, color analyst for that of that uh, promotion. It airs on UFC Fight Pass, and uh, I'd recommend checking it out because they've got a lot of uh, really good cards. Um, that you can check out even in the archives right now and get a chance to look at Marc-Andre Berrio, who's uh, really one of the first fighters from TKO to make the, the leap over to the UFC. I'm not sure exactly what the contracts are like there, but you haven't seen a ton of TKO talent come to the UFC, and Berrio looks like he's going to be a force, and he's got a tough challenge ahead of him as well. Uh, on uh, Andrew Sanchez, who won the Ultimate Fighter 23, is going to be his opponent in the middleweight division, and uh, Sanchez has been up and down, but it looks like he's starting to come into his own as of late. Um, I believe he's won two in a row, and he's really learned to, uh, you know, work on his wrestling and uh, and not overexert himself, which has been an issue with him. And, uh, you know, he's—sorry, uh, he's only one. he won his last fight against Marcus Perez, who looked uh, pretty good recently. And uh, his most recent loss is to another Canadian, Ryan James, in one of the bigger comebacks uh, that we've seen in uh, the UFC. I think that was the last fight that Ryan James had uh, before he retired was against uh, Andrew Sanchez. And uh, Sanchez will take on Berrio— in the, the debut of Marc-Andre Barrio. that's May the 4th at the Canadian Tire Center in Ottawa. It's a bigger venue than they did last time, and not as big an event. I mean, this is an ESPN Plus event, so that says to me that the UFC are looking at major markets for their next two cards. One will likely be on ESPN Linear, the other one on Pay-Per-View. So, you know, if I had to guess, I think the ESPN card will be in Vancouver, and the Pay-Per-View will be in Toronto. If that's not the case, then they'll probably do... Something like maybe Edmonton for the ESPN card and Vancouver for the pay-per-view. I know Vancouver is in the mix for this year. It looks like Vancouver is almost certainly going to be on the UFC calendar in 2019. A couple other big ones. Uh, speaking of big ones, Arjun Singh Buller and Juan Adams squaring off at heavyweight. Buller 2-1 in the UFC. And probably the most decorated amateur athlete uh to you know, Canadian athlete to step into the UFC is a gold medalist at the 2010 Pan Am Games in freestyle wrestling, and Juan Adams is no joke. I mean, he's six foot five, cuts down to make two sixty five, walks around over three hundred pounds, undefeated five zero record, uh, including a win in his UFC debut back in December against uh, Chris De La Roca, and um, Arjun Singh bowler coming off a, a win recently against uh, Marcelo Gom, and uh, that was off of off of a bad loss by Oma Plata, the first loss of his career against Adam Vizoric, who was recently arrested. But we'll save that story for another day. So uh, Arjun Buller making his return to the Octagon in Ottawa. And that's going to be a, a very solid match between uh, two really highly touted heavyweight prospects. Brad Gatona, the only Canadian to ever win a non-territorial season of the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, you know, we've seen Ultimate Fighter Nations with uh, Elias and uh, and Chad Lapreze winning. But uh, in terms of Canadians to win a regular season of The Ultimate Fighter, Brad Gatone is the only one to do it. He did it at 145 pounds and has since moved back down to bantam weight, which is his natural weight class. And he's got a tough challenge ahead of him as well. Uh, Marab Davalashvili, who trains at uh, Team Cerro Longo out in, uh, in New York. He's a tough, tough guy. Tough out. Ask Ricky Simone who uh sort of submitted him. <laughs> he submitted him. Uh, the clock ran out, and the ref determined that Marab um, uh, was out. But, you know, if you ask me, I thought that should have gone to the scorecards. But uh, strangely enough, Brad Katona had the same kind of outcome in his most recent fight against Matthew Lopez. Looked like he had finished Lopez. I can't remember. Did that end up being uh scored as a finisher? or did that go to the scorecards? I think that ended up going to the scorecards. I'm going to take a look at that, which is kind of interesting because Two very, very uh, similar situations with Brad Katona and Marab Devalashvili. Unfortunately, Devalashvili on the receiving end of it, whereas uh, Brad Katona back at uh, the last UFC event in Toronto, UFC 231, taking on Matthew Lopez, had a a very, very similar situation. I'm pretty sure that one did go to a decision. I think I recall Katona winning a unanimous decision there. Uh, Yes, that was what happened. He won a unanimous decision. But uh, he had basically finished... Lopez, at the end of the fight, he basically had submitted him. Lopez had trouble getting back to his corner. And uh, that was very, very similar to the situation with Davalashvili, strangely enough. So, uh, interesting parallel there. Um, So, they'll be be facing off. uh, Katona, one of the few undefeated Canadians. I think might be the only undefeated Canadian left in the uh, UFC at 8-0 against uh, Davalashvili, who's 8-4. And Davalashvili coming off of a nice win over Therion Ware, where he really dominated him using his wrestling. So that's uh, Murab Devalishvili. And another Canadian upstart who most recently suffered his first uh, loss in the octagon is Eamon Zahabi, who last fought on the same card as GSP back at UFC 217. And uh, got knocked out. He was winning the fight and got knocked out by a a spinning, I think it was a spinning elbow or spinning backfist by Ricardo Hamosh. And uh, has not fought since then. Uh, He recently... I believe last year gave birth to twin daughters. So he's at his hands full. But he will return to the Octagon in Ottawa against Vince Morales, who's 0 one in the UFC. So uh, it will be good to see Eamon back in the uh, Octagon. Friend of the show, Eamon's a Zahabi. In fact, a lot of these that I've mentioned, Elias the adorable friend of the show, has been on several times. Same with Arjun Buller. Uh, I have yet to speak to Marc-Andre Barrio, but uh, hopefully we'll uh, cross that bridge very soon. But uh, Eamon Zahabi returns to action. And some other Canadians uh, on the card. Uh, Mitch Gagnon taking on uh, Brian Boom Kelleher. Uh, Mitch, more than a two-year layoff. In his last fight, I believe he was cornered by uh, Joe Valtellini, my co-host, who uh, is not with me today. But uh, hopefully we'll see Bazooka Joe in the corner of Mitch Gagnon again for that event. And uh, he'll take on Brian Boom Kelleher. And uh, Sarah Morris um, taking on Leah Letson, who was most recently on The Ultimate Fighter. Moving down from featherweight to the bantamweight division as the women's featherweight division remains a, a giant question mark going forward. So if you're in Ottawa or really any surrounding uh, city and you want to buy tickets, the uh, Fight Club pre-sales this Wednesday, March the 6th, or sorry, next Wednesday. Newsletter pre-sale Thursday, March 7th, and tickets on sale to the public on Friday, March the 8th. You won't want to miss that one. So we've touched on all the Canadian topics for today. George St. Pierre, UFC Ottawa. Let's talk about the lightweight division because right now it's in a very, very interesting position. So, Khabib Nurmagomedov has kind of thrown this whole thing in flux by honoring his teammates and standing in solidarity with them, sitting out for an entire year. Now, I mean, whether that, you know, whether or not Ramadan is a determining factor and how long he's going to sit out is, uh, you know, Khabib's business. But he could have been. Basically ready to go for UFC 236. And Ariel Hawani speculated that Khabib uh, was in the promotion's plans. They wanted him to fight in Abu Dhabi. Uh, The card for UFC 236 now looks like it's going to be in Atlanta, Georgia. So Khabib has decided to sit out. He wants to return in November at Madison Square Garden. So um, as a result of this, it's got a pretty big domino effect. Now the rumor is, um, according to... uh, Several people, Ally Akinta being one of them, and Chris Taylor from com. there's speculation that the next fight at lightweight is going to be Max Holloway versus Tony Ferguson. Now, whether or not that's for an interim strap, I don't know. Probably would be. But if I'm Tony Ferguson, I'm very uh, skeptical about uh, taking on an interim strap. I mean, the last time he had an interim strap, we saw what happened. He didn't get to face Khabib, and that title went away. So the uh, the last thing that Ferguson... Touched on, was uh, on Twitter, he said, I've been offered a fight, but not sure if it meets our standards, crew. We deserve better for the amount of work and support we put in. Team El Kukui. So I guess uh, he's not really thrilled with whatever this offer might be. So Tony Ferguson has to decide what he wants to do. But I th- I think I speak for everybody in mixed martial arts by saying that Tony Ferguson versus Max Holloway would be one heck of a fight. I mean, those are two of the pound-for-pound best in the sport right now. Both riding gigantic win streaks. Max Holloway would be moving up to 155. Tony Ferguson staying at 155, although he has talked about moving up to welterweight in the past. Man, that would help a lot of problems if he decided to just move up to welterweight. That would be a good way to make Tony happy. <laughs> you got the next shot of Tyron Woodley, pal. Or uh, or Kamaru Usman if Usman ends up winning next week at UFC 235. But uh, that's... That's the story right now. As that's rumored for UFC 236. And then the other thing that was apparently offered to Dustin Poirier was Ali Akinta for UFC 236. But Dustin Poirier believes he's in championship position. He he wants more money. He wants to get paid. And as a result of that, he's asked for his release from the UFC. Now, we've seen in the past when athletes that are doing pretty well ask for their release, it rarely happens. Ali Akinta responded to Dustin Poirier and said, I want my release too. You know, Ally Akint has been a. Sometimes he's a company guy and sometimes he's, you know, wants out. It's very weird, Ally Akint. They, depending on what day you catch him, I guess. But right now, the lightweight division, because Khabib is out till November, there's a lot of moving parts and the UFC needs to put some, some of these fights together to see who's going to be next. Now, I think if they did Ferguson versus Holloway, the winner of that fight would be next. But then what happens to the featherweight division? Now you're. Let's say Holloway beats Ferguson, you're going to sacrifice the featherweight division. Or are you going to vacate that title and make new champions there? There are just so many different outcomes that can happen. And right now, the lightweight division, the the folks at the top have been waiting for a long time. I mean, since Conor McGregor won the belt at UFC 205, I believe it was, against uh, Eddie Alvarez. I'm going to go just double-check that. But I'm pretty sure it was UFC 205, yeah, where Conor McGregor won the title. He went and boxed Floyd Mayweather. That title was, uh, you know, made into an interim. Tony Ferguson beats Kevin Lee, becomes the interim champion. Then he's supposed to amalgamate the the title. Conor McGregor is basically stripped of the title. And the fight that's going to be made is Tony Ferguson versus Khabib Nurmagomedov back at UFC 233 last year in Brooklyn. One week before the fight, Tony Ferguson suffers a freak injury when doing media for Fox. He gets injured. He has to pull out of the fight. Was unable to fight through the injury. Max Holloway gets put in. Max Holloway, good to go. You know, he was supposed to be fighting at UFC 222, but an injury forced him out of that. He was willing to fight Khabib at about 60%, 60-70%. Starts cutting the weight to make 155 pounds. At the time, I'm at the Brooklyn courthouse waiting for Conor McGregor to appear after he threw a dolly through a bus. That's probably another uh, another story that's, that that figures into this. Holloway, pulled by the New York Commission. They determined it was unhealthy for him to continue cutting weight. So that fight gets uh, gets pulled. Ally Akinta on short notice. At first it was gonna be Paul Felder, but since Felder wasn't ranked, they wouldn't the commission wouldn't allow didn't think it was competitive enough for, for Paul Felder to fight Khabib Nurmagomedov. A disaster. But uh Ally Akinta, despite only weighing it at 156 pounds, not eligible to win the title, but is able but steps in to face Khabib. and if Khabib wins, he'd be undisputed champion. Although undisputed at that point in time, you know, there's plenty of disputes. Conor hasn't lost anybody, aside from Floyd Mayweather in boxing. Ferguson hasn't lost anybody, so undisputed title. You can call it an undisputed title all you want, but there was a lot of dispute as to who the champion was. Katu, Khabib, unanimous decision, wins all five rounds against Ali Kinta. Ali Kinta puts up a good effort, but Khabib, far too much for him. Khabib ends up facing Conor McGregor, the biggest pay-per-view of all time in UFC history. UFC 229 in October, Las Vegas. Khabib makes easy work if Conor McGregor submits him. And we have our undisputed champion. Tony Ferguson, Dana White says is next. He's next in line. But the Nevada State Athletic Commission suspends Khabib for nine months. They're willing to shorten it to six months if he records a PSA. Khabib says, not only am I not recording a PSA for you because I don't believe in the morals of your city, I'm sitting out a full year because my teammate, Zubaira Tukhugov, and uh, his cousin, Abubakar off were suspended for a year. So he said in solidarity with his teammates, he's setting it out until October when they're going to be reinstated. And, of course, that would mean he wouldn't be eligible until the uh, pay-per-view in New York in November. So Khabib is, uh, is basically sidelining himself. As a result, of that it looks like the UFC is going to make an interim championship between Ferguson or Holloway. Or maybe they strip Khabib of the title because he's not going to defend for a year. And they make it for the Undisputed title, if that's what they have to do to make a a good headlining fight for 136. But, uh, you know, you can call it an interim title, but Holloway versus Ferguson, for my money, the winner of that fight is, you know, may as well be the champion. Those guys are on crazy win streaks. Neither of them have fought Khabib. There are just so many different outcomes that can happen with this lightweight division. But right now, it's in disarray. It's a mess. Everybody's upset. So hopefully the UFC can fix this problem, because there's a lot of fixing to do. So uh, that'll just about do it, but uh, before we go, I'd like to talk about this UFC Prague card coming up this weekend. It's a, a solid card if you're into the, you know, some good European regional talent, but uh, you know, not a ton of big names. The biggest name on it is probably in the main event, Thiago Santos, who's been uh, looking really good at light heavyweight. Even money against Jan Blokovic. But a lot of really solid prospects on this card. Well, let's take a look at some of them um well the first fight on the card i don't know if it's the first fight but uh, diego fejeja returning against uh hustam kabilov that's a really really good fight i'm looking forward to that one i always love watching carlos diego fejeja Verhe- do his thing he's an excellent excellent fighter so um he's the underdog against uh rustam kabilov whose uh grappling skills are really really uh, you know really solid uh part of the uh you know, the Dagestani crew with uh, Khabib Magomedov Islam Makhachev. And he has a lot of really good skills. Um, some prospects, Damir Ismagulov from Kazakhstan is uh, someone to watch for sure. He's taking on an undefeated prospect from Spain, Joel Alvarez. And uh, we've also got uh, Dwight Grant, Dana White Contender Series uh Alum against Carlo Petersoli Jr. and Petrosoli's favorite in that one, but uh, that's a that's a really solid one. Jillian Robertson, the only Canadian on the card, she's a, a solid submission specialist taking on uh, Veronica Macedo. Another uh, up and coming prospect, the former Brave light heavyweight champion Klitsen, Diabreu. Taking on Magomed Ankalaev, a very very highly touted uh, Dagestani prospect in the light heavyweight division, that's going to be a great one. And Peter Yan, who might be the best prospect in the UFC right now, taking on John Dodson. To If you want to know how big of a, of a prospect Peter Yan is, right now he's a minus 280 favorite against John Dodson, who's twice, twice fought for the flyweight championship, won the ultimate fighter at Bantamweight by beating TJ Dillashaw. I mean, that's, that's how big of a favorite Peter Yan is, and I think that's, that just goes to show how highly touted he is. Uh, you've also got Le- Lucia Pudilova, who's uh, the only Czechoslovakian female, I believe, in the UFC right now. She's taking on Liz Carmouche on her home soil in Prague, Czech Republic. And um, you've got—I'm uh, going mis- to butcher this name—but Michael uh, Olaśuk. Oleg- 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 he's Polish. His last name is tough to pronounce, but he's a—he's uh, a really solid uh, light heavyweight prospecting on Gian Vellante. So a lot of uh, a lot of interesting names to watch on this card. That, unfortunately, this card is not going to be on TSN. It's going to be on uh, on Fight Pass in Canada. But I would highly recommend checking it out if you want to check out some of the big up, up-and-coming prospects uh, in the UFC on the regional scene in, in Europe. Uh, the ones to watch for my money would be Ismagulov, uh, Ankalaev, and uh, Peter Yan. Those three look like really, really big prospects that uh, have a solid future in the UFC. So keep an eye on those individuals. We'll see how they do next week. Unfortunately, no picks from Joe and I this week because Joe is not with me. Joe and I were supposed to record the show on Thursday, but uh, duty calls. I'm in Montreal, Quebec right now, hanging out in my hotel, recording this show for you all. I hope you've enjoyed it. This has been the TSN MMA Show. We'll be back next week with a preview of UFC 225 in Las Vegas, Nevada. An excellent, excellent card. Headlined by John Jones versus Anthony Smith. Co-main event. Oh, sorry, this is UFC 235. Not 225. 225 happened last June. UFC 235. So John Jones, Anthony Smith, Tyron Woodley versus Kamaru Usman for the welterweight title as the co made event and the debut of Ben Askren against Robbie Lawler. That is a stat card. I'll be in Las Vegas, Nevada on location. I'll uh, bring you a podcast from there with some of my interviews uh, from Media Day. We learned today that Media Day is taking place next Wednesday and every athlete on the card will be made available. That should be awesome. Usually John Jones isn't uh, available in that kind of setting, so it's going to be uh, interesting to see John Jones get bombarded by the media because there's a lot of questions that John Jones will be asked about his ongoing situation regarding USADA and uh, the drug tests that keep getting flagged by USADA for having a picogram-level M3 metabolites. So uh, very, very interesting turn of events with John Jones fighting in Las Vegas for the first time since... uh, The card was moved, UFC 232, supposed to be in Las Vegas, gets moved at zero hour to California. Now John Jones has been licensed for one fight only at UFC 235, taking on Anthony Smith. Tyron Woodley, Kamaru Usman. Usman might be the uh, the top prospect at welterweight, uh, at least prospective, challenger for Tyron Woodley right now. Others would argue Colby Covington. I think Colby Covington and Usman have very similar ways to win that fight which is putting volume on Tyron Woodley and not getting taken down and not getting knocked out. That's Usman's path, and I think it's a very legitimate possibility for that him to follow that path. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, we'll see if he can dethrone Tyron Woodley, one of the greatest champions uh, of all time, probably the second best welterweight champion of all time behind the aforementioned George St. Pierre, who has retired from mixed martial arts. So next week, we'll touch on UFC 235. We'll talk more about George St. Pierre's retirement and anything else that comes up between now and then. As I mentioned earlier, UFC 236, April 13th. Looks like that's going to be in Atlanta, Georgia. So uh, that should be one heck of a card. Right now, the only championship fight that's been announced for it is the interim championship between Kelvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya. We'll see if Max Holloway versus Tony Ferguson ends up being made as rumored. But until then, this has been the TSN MMA Show. We'll be back next week with more... MMA news. Thanks for listening to the TSN
0: MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.